Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. One 1Password one keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours, I can't even count them all, is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a revisit to a conversation I had with Andy Andrews a while ago because he's also going to be on next week with a brand new conversation about his brand new book, Just Jones. I was thrilled to talk with Andy yet again, and I had to revisit this conversation because it sets that one up. We recorded this one when he came out with The Noticer Returns, which if you're not familiar with Andy, his work is great. He is an author that will make you think. And the premise behind The Noticer is that this character real-life character, in fact, although these are fictional stories with truth in them. Jones, the main character in the main story, is an enigma. He asks questions, honestly, in that kind of Socratic method to a point of, you know, making you ask yourself the questions that get you thinking differently about your circumstance, your life, and ultimately the main thrust of this conversation is changing your perspective and what that can do and how that can free you up to move forward with different answers and different tasks at hand. That's one of the things we talk about a lot when it comes to productivity is knowing what is the most important thing to be working on or where your efforts and your energy should be focused or where your focus should be, proper focus. And that's what perspective is. So I'll get out of the way. Enjoy this conversation with Andy Andrews and stay tuned next week for a brand new conversation with Andy Andrews. Well, this week, it is my privilege to talk with comedian, speaker and author Andy Andrews. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric, how are you? I am doing well. Comedian, speaker, author, that really does sound like I don't know what I do, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like you know what you want to do. You want to do everything, I guess. Well, that's the truth. Well, I'm so, glad to be here with you. Honestly, you were on my list, and so I'm just glad that we're getting the opportunity to talk about this. I'm actually – and I'm actually really, really glad you're coming out with a new book called The Noticer Returns. 
Yeah, I'm, I am more excited about this one than anything I've ever done. I think it's just going to have more value for people than anything I've done. And, you know, it's kind of a continuation of a character that I, I've had before, who is the noticer. There's an old man named Jones, not Mr. Jones, just Jones. And he, he always says, you know, when, when God was passing out talents, I didn't get the cool ones. I can't run fast. I can't sing great. But I notice little things that make a big difference in people's lives. And then they think that pretty much boils down to one word, doesn't it? Perspective. Yeah. He was always big on this. You know, and when I say he was always, people go, no, did you know this? And yeah, I really did. I, you know, if you read the noticer, the very first chapter of that is true. My parents died when I was 19. My mom of cancer. My dad was killed in a car accident and I made a bunch of bad decisions and after several years, was literally homeless before that was even a word. You know, uh, 30-something years ago, nobody talked about homeless people. That wasn't a term anybody used. But I was uh, sleeping under a pier on the Gulf Coast. And that was where this old guy found me. And he did talk about perspective all the time, you know, a perspective, a different way of seeing things. And he would say that perspective is more important than answers. He said, because, you know, sometimes answers are a matter of timing. And if you shove a square peg into that round hole, you know, you'll get something, but it won't be the best. It won't be the perfect uh, situation. And he said, so perspective, you know, he said, when you have, even in a, in a crazy situation, perspective brings calm and calm leads to clear thinking clear thinking yields ideas and from ideas we get answers oh that's great yeah that's one of the things i was going to ask you was you know not to shatter the illusion or give away any of the magic or you know but that this is the the first one and and as well this one are kind of semi-fictional stories and in a way that only fictional stories can you can dig deeper to the truth by asking those pointed questions and yeah and yeah, telling it in a narrative right yeah they're definitely stories you know i Eric, I always tell everybody, I, I say, you know, they make the smart authors write the nonfiction books. People like me write stories. And and I think part of it is because I really connect with stories. You know, I, I think I would have liked history in school if I'd have ever had a teacher who had said, OK, close your books. Forget history today. Today, I'm going to tell you a story. I, I You know, I, I think I would have probably connected there. And so what I do is. I think that everybody has a story, and some people have stories that are particularly great. And this old man, he is something else. And so after 30 years, I ran into him again. And so, you know, each book really kind of stands on its own. You don't have to read the first one to get the notice of returns. Uh, I think the publisher is just tying them together with that title. But, but the notice of returns, it is the best stuff I've ever been able to do. And the story is very cool about how, you know, I found him and he was actually teaching a parenting class to two people and knowing how much this old guy had changed my life. We immediately, my wife and I immediately go, okay, we're in this parenting class and ended up being a parenting class of seven people and it has changed our life. And so this is the story of the notice of returns. He always seemed to be around when, when somebody was having a challenge or somebody needed something and, and so in this book, you know, he deals with a, a lady whose mother uh, is in the throes of Alzheimer's. And uh, he deals with a, another guy whose wife is dying. And uh, he also deals with some people. This was very curious to me. And I really 
got it detailed in this book. He deals with people who are having a hard time with uh, employment, and he says, you know, don't worry about getting a job. Just create your own business. And, of course, they, they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for the help. <laughs> and, and he says, look, it, it's the easiest thing if you know what to do. He said, you can create a business of your own out of nothing with very little investment that will be successful quickly. And I am shocked, and it's detailed in the book. But he did it with several people. I have since taken it to several people that I knew. And I mean, not only have they created successful businesses and totally different kinds of businesses, not only have they created successful businesses of their own, uh, several of them already have employees. And so it it's shocking to see. But this old man uh, has a totally different way of looking at things. And I have come to believe that we in our society have an amazing ability to think logically to the wrong conclusion. Oh, yeah, that's powerful there to, to think about that. And that's the hinge, I guess, is, is about perspective is, you know, you and I could both look at the same scenario or circumstances, but by looking at it differently, it suddenly becomes a whole new thing. Right. I mean, it literally becomes a new thing. And so it, it is a, a key to learn how to do that, learn how to get perspective, because, you know, perspective can be the difference in a, a great life and a not so great life. And perspective can be the difference in making money and not making money. Perspective can be the difference in a marriage and divorce. It can be the difference in a, a calm family and a family that's always under stress. And so it's a huge thing. You know, I was uh, the other night I, I sat down with Urban Meyer up, uh, after I was up, up there and went, you know, Ohio State football team has used my books before. And so I sat down with him and that was a big part of our conversation was about how to create proper thinking around perspective because you know so many people talk about choices choices and that that is important that we make good choices but to tell a kid or expect an employee or expect yourself to make good choices especially the way we tell kids you know we say hey make good choices now we're going to make good choices today did you make good choices and you know that's like telling a kid to take a quarter go out in the backyard and flip heads every time did you flip heads every time? You didn't? Are you going to flip heads every time tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, it, you know, yeah. if, if the kid has no idea what constitutes the basis of a good choice, I, I mean, you can't pull them out of the air. I mean, it's like flipping a coin. And so what is below a choice? What is below the decisions that governs every single one we make? It's our thinking. Every single choice, every single decision you make is totally governed by how you think, what you think, what you think about, how much you think about it, what you choose not to think about. All that goes into the perspective you have over situations and how you think, your thinking, totally governs your choices. And so you can do something about your thinking, you know, and, and that is done by what you read. It's done by what you listen to, what you watch. You know, I, I beg people, please turn your TVs off if you're not watching something specifically. Now, I'm not saying, you know, turn them off forever. I'm just saying make sure you are watching something specifically because you'd be shocked at what goes into your mind that you never really intend to be there 
forget the minds of your children, but to be very intentional about your thinking and how you are shaping your thinking so that your choices can be of the highest quality. You know, we could spend all day sitting around singing television show theme songs and commercial jingles, and yet there's not anybody that I know of anyway, certainly nobody, and neither you, Eric, or me, or anybody listening to us ever probably sat down in front of a television set with a pad and a pen and said, okay, I'm going to learn the words to this stuff. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we just know it. We don't know why we know the Brady Bunch theme and we don't we don't know why we can whistle the Andy Griffith theme and we don't know why we can still sing Three's Company. The thing's been off the air 25 years, but boy, we can do it. And if something's going to be in there anyway, well, why not choose what goes in? Yeah, it's that repetition and our attention. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, speaking of which uh, of things that you read and have read. I love the part, in, thinking back to the, the, the noticer, the, the first one, I guess. This is the best way to refer to it at this point. Right, right. When Jones starts having you read all these biographies, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, I was always, just like I said a few minutes ago, I was always kind of a, I was, I was a sports illustrated guy. I was never really a reader. And, and I, I know now how important reading is to shaping our thinking. And not being a reader, I was a little bit uh, like, you know, I was rolling my eyes without trying to physically do it when Jones handed me three biographies. And I knew they were biographies because uh, one of them right on the front said Winston Churchill, the other one George Washington Carver, and the other one Will Rogers. And I said to him, I said, biographies? Because I didn't know what else to say. And he said, no, adventure stories. These are mysteries and romances and thrillers. That one there, that's a spy story. It's a shoot 'em up. And he said, and they're, and they're all true. Well, I, I was like, oh, okay. And he said, yeah, they're from the library. When you get through with them, take them back. But I, I read, I started Winston Churchill because I, I liked Jones. And I wanted to be able to say when he said, have you read the books? I wanted to be able to say, well, I, I've, I've already started. I'm, you know, but I got hooked on it. I was kind of shocked because as I read, I, you know, Winston meets Clementine. And I was going, oh, well, there's the romance. And, and, uh, you know, then there's, uh, some stuff going on before the war started. And I'm like, wow, oh, this is kind of a mystery. And then World War II started and he's sending the spies out. And I'm like, wow, this is a thriller. And, you know, this is very cool. And then they're trying to capture and kill Winston Churchill. And I was like, no, there's the shoot 'em up part. And I was very aware that I was, uh, thinking that because Jones has had said it, but I was also aware that I was still thinking it and that my whole perception had shifted, my perspective had shifted about uh, what I was reading. And so I got hooked on those books. And o over the next several years, I, I ended up reading over 200 biographies of these happy, influential, financially secure, great people. And, I, and my questions became, how did they turn out like this? Is it something they did or is it something that they became? I mean, if, if they were born this way, I knew I was out of luck. But if it was something they did, what did they do? And how long did it take them to do it? And I identified seven things, you know, these seven principles that these people built their lives around. And those became the seven principles in a book I wrote, The Traveler's Gift. And and they became the seven decisions that that I I had a, a two hour PBS special and 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 yet all those came from that old man 
and you know Jones and his perspective about those books. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. What is it about those biographies that were so powerful, especially in regards to perspective? Well, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that hit me right off the bat is that everybody had horrific problems. You know, they all had issues. They all had crazy people in their family. They all had had made bad choices. They all had uh, circumstances come up and bite them. And, and in fact, even though the narrative was different, their lives all seemed a lot like mine. At that time, I just knew that most of the people I was reading about, they were dead. They'd already lived their life. We had already seen the beginning. We had seen the troubles. And we had seen the end result. And I was reading it all. And so I became aware that that I was in the middle of my story, so to speak. And so this was the trouble part. You know, my perspective became, okay, this is just part of that journey. And, you know, so I began to kind of concentrate on what they learned from some of the issues they had, some of the troubles they had. And those became some of the things that I learned and then became some of the things I used to get myself out of that situation. Yeah, some people say, I've heard somebody say this recently, and I can't attribute it correctly, but uh, if somebody knows, let me know. Uh, they say, you know, people often say experience is the best teacher. And some, then, then, then the quote goes, but they're wrong because somebody else's experience is the best teacher. If you don't have to go through it and you can learn from somebody else, then that's much better. 
Yeah, that was Jones in in the notice. There you go. And uh, always a different way of looking at it. And the thing is, is that it's not just uh, your example, but also the examples that you give, which may tend more towards the fictional side of things, which are so much easier to, you know, if it was a lecture, some people would get it. But because it's a story of Jones's interaction with all these other people, everybody can kind of identify, right? Where you have people come up to you and say, you know, in the notice of the, you know, Jones talks to, um, you know, Walker or this, the, the couple, the married couple at the diner and, and the different scenarios. And they, they all identify with where they're at. I mean, for me specifically, it was Walker with his, you know, problem with worrying and how, how you outline fighting logic in that one. Right. You know, I right. love, I loved that. I love that. I was like, Oh my gosh, I, that hit me so impactful. So, but you had people coming up to you and saying stuff like that, you know, after the noticer was, Hey, I just, I love the, the idea that this, when he meets with this person or that person. And so that kind of shaped the way you walked into writing this next book when you met him again, right? Yeah. Because I wanted to find, you know, specific value for some of the biggest issues in our society. And, uh, you know, the four biggest issues that I kind of identified that Jones deals with in this book, the four biggest issues is, is uh, you know, one is, or I guess really the three bi- biggest issues and two of them handle this. One would be loss. Uh, you know, we as people have a real problem with loss when somebody dies or, or when they have Alzheimer's and it's like we've lost them and they're still sitting there. And so it's a real issue that, that Jones was able to, pers- you know, to put a lot of perspective in on that. And it really is just people who have read the book you know, already are just, you know, really enjoying that part or really it's enlightening their thinking there. And then another issue that people have challenges with is, is money, employment. You know, uh, jobs, business, or if, if you have a business, being able to compete and, and top the competition every time. Jones teaches all that in this book. And then the other one is parenting. You know, I really believe that parenting is the fulcrum our society rests upon. If you look at uh, that greatest generation 70 years ago and you say, wow, that's the greatest we ever were. Well, their parents were responsible for that. It was their parents who were responsible for how they turned out. And whatever it was, you, you know, you look and go, what in the world? How, what standard did all those parents across the board raise kids by at that point to raise children who became adults that we look back 70 years and still say that's the best we ever were? And then what standards? Are people using today to create whatever you think is happening today? But parenting is the fulcrum upon which society rests. You know, I, I work with a bunch of very high level coaches, uh, you know, football and basketball coaches and some baseball stuff. I, I work with corporations and I am more than ever convinced and these CEOs and these coaches are too that the CEOs and these coaches while they're dealing with adults the principles they are using and the things that they are uh, using to deal with situations they are parenting is what they're doing just at a very high adult level because over and over again I see the disasters I see the times I see somebody they're having to get rid of this person from the business or the team because they treated a client this way or they said this and and everybody's looking at it like this is 
an adult issue. And no, it's not an adult issue. An adult did it. But it's an issue that should have been handled when the guy was eight. Yeah, man. I love that you're talking on all those aspects. I mean, that's something I've had some loss recently. I am a parent to two kids and money and employment that not necessarily employment. I have a good job, but uh, right, money right. itself, just, you know, struggling with that and, and making ends meet. Like those are things that are just, what made you think about those being, was it just the, the current climate? I know you don't love like politically correctness, but like what made you think to try and have Jones focus in on those issues for this book? You know, really, I knew in that first book, he had handled things that that people, like you say, would come up to me and say, man, that particular part of that, you know, I bought 10 of those books because I have friends and they're all dealing with that particular. And so I thought, okay, well, what is it now? I mean, what now? I found this guy. What can I have him handle? Man, you just walk around outside, Eric. I mean, see, you know what you just said that, you know, you're a parent, you know, financial issues are always in the forefront of many of our minds. You know, you just dealt with a loss. Well, with this book, the notice of returns, it's for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, even even if one of those things were in your thought processes right now, this book would be huge for you. But I think this book is going to tag a ton of people right where they live and will really help. One quick thing. I do write stories and I hear a lot of people, you know, for, for years, I would hear people say, I only read nonfiction. You know, there's a lot of business people say, I only read nonfiction. I ain't got time for fiction. And so, you know, my books are stories with principles in them. And so people kind of say, well, you know, it's kind of a combination of fiction and nonfiction. In fact, when The Traveler's Gift came out, uh, it was on the New York Times bestsellers list in their fiction category. And at the same time, it was on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list in nonfiction. And so a little explanation of why I do this specifically is because people who say they do not read fiction need to rethink that decision. And the reason is because you can gather knowledge. You can gather all the knowledge you want. But wisdom is a little more ethereal. It's a little more hard to define. And wisdom is definitely on another side of the issue of knowledge, right? I mean, knowledge, you can teach any 12-year-old to drive a car. I mean, any 12-year-old has the mental and physical ability to learn how to drive a car. Now, you're not going to flip them the car keys and say, have a great weekend, because they haven't got the wisdom to apply that knowledge in a consistent manner and in a proper context. And so wisdom is a different thing. While nonfiction books feed knowledge, fiction fires the imagination. Fiction fires context. In a fiction or a, a story, a story gets your imagination going. You imagine the situation, the place, how they talk, how they look. And so when you grab knowledge that is in a story, you're faster to the point of being able to apply it in a way that will literally change your life. And I think by you doing that kind of a hybrid of fiction and nonfiction in here, you are able to take that theoretical and that, that wisdom and people are able to consume it 
and then ponder it, but then also take it down to a practical level. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I love that. I just love that. And, and so since I, my show usually deals a lot more on the practical side, I'd love to ask you two questions real quick that have right. to do with that. One is the standard question I ask everybody, which is, in an ideal world, how do you start your day? Early. I get up, and before I do my email, before I check my messages, before I see any news, before I do anything, I will get up, and I will be quiet. You know, I read uh, some out of Proverbs. I read some out of Psalms. Because there's two guys writing who are incredibly effective, right? Solomon and David. And then I, I have a like a devotion I read, and I'm very quiet. And then I'll go and write. Now, this is my ideal world, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'll go write because I can really dig in early with that process, and I can really be productive. But if I get up and I check a couple emails or look at the news or uh, if I, I do that, my mind is crowded. My thinking is broader. And since my thinking determines my choices, when I sit down to write, when I sit down to accomplish what I do, I want my thinking to be narrowly focused at that moment. And yet broad enough to fire my imagination so that I can get what I want done. But if I wait until the boys get up or my wife gets up and, you know, there's the pounding feet and, you know, then it's just a different thing. So that's my that's my best way. Great. And I think you partially are answering my second question, which kind of has to do with an old question about a year ago. Somebody wrote in on your podcast, The Andy Andrews Show. And I think it was a single mother asking, well, I've got this book project or this project. I can't remember exactly what it was. I really want to work on it, but I don't want to give up quality time with my boys. And what would you say to somebody who's hung up on, you know, time management, but has something they're wanting to work on and they keep saying, well, I only have so many hours in the day? Right. Well, you do have to prioritize and your family should be your priority, but you also have to understand that if you are a person who not only you have to make a living, but you also aspire to make a better living for your family, then if the way you are going to make a better living for your family has to do with something, and it usually has to do with something that we do outside our traditional work. I mean, before you're a New York Times bestselling author, you've probably got a job. I mean, you know, Tom Clancy was an insurance executive. John Grisham was an attorney. And they didn't quit and then write. They wrote during their regular time. And so what I'm saying is if your family is your true priority and you aspire to make a better living for them, well, then at some points, because your family is your priority, you have to take some of that time and write or invent or create or consult or whatever it is that you're you're wanting to do. You can't make a full retreat from your family. You, you know, you you have to take pieces of time. And I would urge you to get your family, get your kids involved in that advance in in what you're doing. Okay, you know, we, you know how we have this up on the refrigerator and this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to be. Okay, well, um I'm going to go do this and and I, you know, I tell my kids, "All right, now look, I always want, I'm just telling you now, I don't care if you're 18, I don't care if you're 40, when I come home from a trip, 
I really want my boys to get up and say, Daddy. And so, you know, they're 14, they're 11 now, and they're still doing that. I come home and they get up off the couch and they go, Daddy, hey. And they come hug me and we laugh. And so there are also times that my boys know I'm working. And so while they're playing, I'm working and, and I make sure that when we have rewards from that work, hey, you know how we're here at this place and we're getting to hang out by the pool? Isn't it cool that we took the time to work when we were home, you know, even though you guys did this and I had to go in the office? Well, now look what we get to do because we did that. And that still all comes back to perspective. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Well, Andy, it has been awesome to talk with you. Hey, Eric, thank you so much, buddy. I had a great time. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed listening in on this conversation with Andy Andrews. Stay tuned next week for a brand new conversation with Andy Andrews I just recorded. That's a follow-up to this one. And again, the brand new book, Just Jones. I've already recorded that conversation, so I know that it's another fun one like this one. If you enjoyed this conversation, you'll enjoy that one. And also, if you enjoyed this conversation, would you do me the favor of sharing it with somebody you know would also enjoy it? Hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice, or you can find the show notes for this episode over at beyondthetodolist.com. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.